Um, children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. I apologize, that's not a mechanical malfunction, that's a Keith malfunction. Children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. If you'd open your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, this morning we reached the 7th uh, or the 8th, depending on how you count them, of the Beatitudes, and uh, we'll be focusing on, on uh, the final of those uh, statements of living the blessed life as, as Jesus defines it for his disciples. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. We'll read starting there. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we come before your word, and on every occasion that any of us Responds to the command to share your word, we ought to tremble in some sense because we're handling holy things. Uh, we ought not shrink back from sharing because that's what you've commanded. You've, you've put your word in our mouths and hearts and you've placed your spirit in us that, that faith might come to those who we share with by hearing, and hearing comes by the means of the preaching of the Word of God. That's what the book of Romans teaches us. But Lord, there are, there are some subjects like suffering which are so close in terms of the, the center of what's going on in people's lives that, uh, that we ought to think and pray deeply when we touch on them. Suffering is something that comes around to each and every one of us at some point. And even though we may not all suffer, Lord, in the same way, the suffering which we suffer, which is our greatest suffering, is the greatest pain that we know. And so we don't compare pain and difficulty in between our individual lives but we look to you and we say, why? Why this difficulty? Why, why this struggle? Particularly in the area that we look at in Jesus' statement, why persecution and opposition to the message of the gospel? So, Father, as we, as we turn to this text, I pray that you'd take away anything unprofitable that's said and that you would confirm everything good in the hearts of those who hear. And we pray that we would be ready 
and that we would be dependent and humble, trusting in Jesus in our daily lives, but especially in that time when we find ourselves, as Matthew chapter 10 says, dragged before kings or rulers, those who need to hear the word. We pray that as, as we have to give a defense of the hope that's within us for your sake, as you say, that you would give us strength and grace to be dependent and to speak the way we ought, with clarity, with purpose, and with a focus on your saving name, Jesus. We pray this, knowing that you're good and that you speak to us through the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would encourage and help us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of the most difficult questions that uh, I encounter on a regular basis has to do with suffering and with pain. I think that when people ask the question, and many times they ask a peripheral question, a surrounding question, why, why this pain, why this suffering, they're, they're, they're debating the, the internal issue of the, the faith that if God is good, then he ought to will and bring good to pass if he is powerful enough to do it. And, and Christianity, the scriptures teach that God is in complete and total control of every circumstance, and therefore we believe that he is powerful enough to fix any difficulty, and that he is wholly good and there is no darkness in him at all. We then ask the question, why then is there pain and suffering? I think the best answer to that question presents a third variable and that there is some reason for continuing to allow suffering which we do not understand. In our world, in our thinking, we remove suffering as quickly as possible and it is immoral, unethical to allow suffering and pain to continue in anyone's life if we can stop it. For God, this question has a different answer. God has purpose in pain. There are a number of different kinds of pain. I've, I've talked about these before, but I'm just going to survey them so that as we narrow down on the specific kind of pain and difficulty and struggle that Jesus is talking about, we'll, we'll kind of have everything on the table. There's, there's the pain that comes from life. We live in a fallen world. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, we experience pain coming into the world. There's teething pain and growing pain, right? There's the pain that we experience when we, when we break a bone or when we're sick. There's, there's pain in general from living in a fallen world. There's self-inflicted pain. I was standing outside of uh, the church on South Avenue one, one day uh, with Mark Swope, and we're standing there, and Mark was being distant from the people we were talking to because they had a dog that was just barking, 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 and I was totally ignorant of what was going on. I had no idea, and so I reached out to pet the dog, and the dog like took this chunk out of my finger. Um, I'm fine now. Thank you for, for being concerned. Mark looked at me, and he's like, didn't you, didn't, couldn't you tell that that dog was going to bite you? And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> you, know, you think I'd put my hand out there? It's like, uh, you know, am I angry at the dog? No. Like, I did that. I caused that to happen. I couldn't read the signs. Um, I inflicted that pain on myself. There's the pain that we inflict on others, right? We're selfish. 
we, we focus on ourselves, and so we, we inflict varying degrees of pain on others with the, with the poor word choices that we make in conflict, um, with the fact that, that, that we choose what's good for us or our, for our family more than we choose what's good for others when it, when it comes down to it. We inflict pain on others. There is satanic pain that's alive in the world. Uh, there's a little track that the, um, that the people from Campus Crusade hand out, a little yellow one, Four Spiritual Laws, and the first law is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. My pastor, um, Mike Greiner, always said there should be a different one that was, that's like red, that, that the, the first law in there is Satan hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. Um, that, that, that we regularly undergo accusation and condemnation that, that the devil uh, hurls accusations against us and says, you're no good, you're a failure, God doesn't love you. We see in Zechariah chapter 3 that, that Joshua the high priest is standing by the altar and he is dressed in the holy garments signifying his, his high priesthood office and he is covered in excrement and Satan is there accusing him. And God takes away his impurity and clothes him with, with cleanness that, that he might uh, be free from his sins. Uh, Satan is there and is in our lives causing pain and difficulty, primarily, I believe, in the form of accusation and condemnation. We can take refuge in passages like in the book of Romans where it says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If that's something that you experience on a regular basis, that, that negative uh, assault of, of just depressive, difficult, withering accusation, uh, you need to fight and push back with Scripture. There is divine pain that enters our lives. The book of Hebrews speaks about the fact that God, our heavenly loving Father, brings difficulty into our life, not that we would sink and fail, but that we would learn to depend on him and to trust in him only and to, 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 to lay hold of him in absolute dependence and in the power of the Spirit. And so God purifies us through discipline. Then there's a category that I call pain in general. Uh, if I could put it in quotes, I would call it meaningless pain. And uh, nothing that happens happens apart from God's activity. Uh, nothing that happens happens apart from his will. And so there is nothing that is truly meaningless. But think about it. If you were driving over here this morning and your tire went flat, are you ever going to get a note in the mail? Are you ever going to hear while you're praying, like, this is exactly why that happened? Many times there are things that happen that just seem to have no meaning at all. Just pain. Just difficulty. You just, just put it on a shelf and say, one day I'll know. One day God will tell me why that happened. You can't assign this easily to another category. It just, it just is. It's a, it's a bit of a combination of all the categories because we can't quite figure out why it happens. Now, the one that I skipped over is pain that's inflicted on us by others. Persecution, what Jesus is talking about here in this passage, is a subset of pain inflicted by others. It is a rejection of who we are in Christ, of who Christ is, of Christ's way and his teaching. 
Here it goes. When I'm in Zambia, uh, on the first or second day of the class, students ask questions about well-being. This is the way it was formed this year. The student says, is well-being part of the gospel? Is, is health part of the gospel? And I, I kind of draw, try to draw this out. And, and the question that this particular student was asking was, should Christians who are walking in truth and faith and grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, should they encounter any kind of suffering at all? Now, hopefully, you, you've been around here long enough. Maybe, maybe not. You know, you know the answer to that is good, godly people who are rich in faith and who are loved by the Lord can suffer and suffer deeply. But the answer to, to this particular student's question and the answer that's alive and well in Africa and alive and well in many places is that those who trust in Christ will never encounter any suffering or any difficulty. They call this the prosperity gospel or the gospel of prosperity in different places in the United States. Jesus teaches the exact opposite. When we look at what he says to those who are suffering, particularly those who are suffering pain inflicted by others and, and the smaller set of, of pain inflicted because of who they are and what they believe, listen to what Jesus says. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's look at the, the form there. Who, who is the one who is blessed here? The one who is experiencing oppression or mistreatment. And not just the person who's experiencing oppression or mistreatment because, you know, they wear glasses or because they look different or because they're the new kid in school, but, but those who suffer it because of righteousness' sake. Now, there's a, there's a spectrum of mistreatment that Jesus lays out here, and, and we'll address that in a minute, but, but I don't want you to exclude yourself from being persecuted for righteousness sake because no one's ever punched you because you're a, a Christian. No one's ever put you in a prison cell. Yes, there are Christians who are experiencing real life and death, horrible, torturous persecution in the world. But you don't have to be one of them to be experiencing persecution. And I don't want to make light of their plight, but I want to point out that Jesus lays out a, a a continuum of suffering and persecution for believers here. He says, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for following the Jesus path, they are blessed. And he demonstrates, or he's pointing out, that, that experiencing persecution is not an evidence of a lack of salvation or a lack of being in good standing with God, but it can be evidence of being in good standing with God. Theirs, he says, is the kingdom of heaven. When you are pulled over by a police officer and you are going to show them your credentials or when you're trying to enter the United States or enter another country and they say, where are you from? And you furnish evidence. This is my passport. I am a citizen of the United States. That conveys benefits and blessings on me. 
right? That's the evidence that you're an American. What's the evidence that you possess the kingdom of heaven? At times, it is persecution, but persecution for righteousness' sake. Notice the the three variants that Jesus gives here, the different kinds of persecution. He says, blessed are you when others revile you. That's just plain old being nasty, right? You're bashed or taunted, mocked for being a believer. You are persecuted, right? The, the word persecute uh, means to, to pursue violently, right? I, I was blessed to have a brother who's 22 months older than me. He looks like me without glasses, but with Arnold Schwarzenegger's body, right? And, and there were times when I knew that my brother was coming after me, and if he caught me, right, it would be bad, that, that, that much... Uh, screaming and gnashing of teeth would result. Now, we don't do that anymore. It's been many, many, many years since we've had one of those kinds of of battles. Uh, But there is a sense in which you know this, this, this idea of being persecuted, of being pursued, of being hunted down, that when you're caught, it will not go well with you. So, so there's being reviled, and then there's being persecuted. And then there's this idea of, of having all kinds of evil uttered against you falsely on my account. False accusations, ill treatment, uh, having your, your either your physical self be put in danger or your economic ability to, you know, your economic safety be damaged, having your reputation destroyed. These are, these are different forms of persecution. And it's not just somebody saying, does this qualify as persecution? It's Jesus laying it out here. Thomas Watson splits persecution into two different kinds of categories. He speaks of persecution by the tongue and persecution by the fist. One is a, a, um, the, the handing out of revilings and accusations, and the other is the, the injuring of the, of the physical being. Now notice what Jesus says here. Our reaction is clear. And it's not, this is not a Better Homes and Gardens article, Right? This is not a, um, a BuzzFeed list. This is not like 27 things you might want to consider doing when you're persecuted. You know, if you know BuzzFeed, you know they always have some strange, large, odd number. Um, they, what, what Jesus says here, these are commands. These are not suggestions to thrive in a season of persecution. This is Jesus saying to his believers, to his followers, this is what you should do when you encounter persecution. He says, Rejoice and be glad. Wow. It's amazing to me. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. What, what Jesus is, is pointing out here, you'll notice in verse 3 that, that Jesus mentions the kingdom of heaven, uh, God's kingdom, the, uh, the, the state of being in a right relationship with God, being, being forgiven, being justified, and, and living out the, the, the relationship with God properly in our life. Jesus mentions it in the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who come to Jesus and say, I have nothing, I need everything, I need righteousness, I need forgiveness, I need, I, I need humility, like I, I, come, I come completely empty and devoid of everything. Would you save me? 
Those are those who enter the kingdom. But as we venture through the ethics of the citizens of God's kingdom, we come to this realization that though the God's people hunger and thirst for righteousness, though they have their strength under control, though they work for peace, there will always be opposition to the message. There will always be opposition to the way. There will always be those who say, I don't want that. I don't want the agenda that you're bringing. And not only do I not want that, I don't want you around. I don't want you to thrive. I don't want you to be alive. And that happens in places in the world where persecution involves the loss of life. As I teach, I, I, I finish speaking about the gospel in, in the class that I teach, Progress of Redemption, in Zambia, and I speak about the gospel. I speak about the fact that righteousness comes through Christ, that it, that it comes because of Christ's righteous life, that it comes because Jesus obeyed all the commands of God, and, and whenever we have disobeyed, Jesus obeyed, and whenever we think like, oh, I guess I'll do what God wants me to do, and we don't really want to, like whenever Jesus did that, he wanted to, and that that, that righteousness all of that positive, incredible, good behavior that we are unable to muster up is applied to us when we believe that, that he is our substitute and that that is what cancels out our sin. And then I ask this question, do we suffer to obtain those salvation blessings? Is there suffering involved in receiving it? And the answer is no, it's a free gift of God. That we say, we say I want that. And God says, here, here you go you are saved. And then I talk about the fact that Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And we look at the way that Jesus came into the world to bring righteousness, to accomplish salvation, to achieve the blessing that we're given in Christ. We don't suffer to obtain the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Do we suffer to advance that message? Do we suffer to take that message to others? Absolutely, positively we do. The church will strive, as Paul says in Colossians 1.28, according to all of God's energy that mightily works within us, we will strive and struggle and fight for every single inch of ground that we will gain. Because there will always be opposition to the message. Peter reassures us, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And so, as Christians, we need to understand that, that we're not to have some giant pity party and be upset and be, you know, bitter anytime somebody says, I don't want to hear any more about that. Or, you know what, I think you're nuts for explaining what you believe. I had a friend, um, I had an, an assignment for evangelism class. I had to share the gospel with four people or you fail evangelism in seminary. And so I, I, I corralled a guy in Barnes and Nobles in Columbia, South Carolina and shared the gospel with him. I felt so bad for the guy. But like I was in seminary. I, there was no reason for me to ever leave campus. I there, did not interact regularly with lost people. And so I found this guy and I was like, this is the guy. And I just like share the gospel with him. And I explained to my professor. And he was like, yeah, that's, yep. I 
feel bad for that guy, but all right, good job. He may, you may be the only time he ever hears the gospel. Uh, I start drawing this salvation diagram, the bridge diagram. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And my friend puts his hand over the napkin that I'm drawing on, and he says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If, if God were really there and he were working in the world, it wouldn't be like that. It wouldn't be something you could draw on a napkin. And I'm like, come on, man, just take your hand off the napkin. He's like, no. There will always be people who do not want to hear, who, who from the center of their heart reject the message that we bring. They reject not only the way of righteousness that, that God teaches, conformity to his, to his commandments, com- conformity to his standards, loving him above all else, loving our neighbors as ourselves. They reject that. They have no taste for it. My wife makes all this, these like, what I'd call strange vegetables based on the way that I grew up. You know, vegetables were like green beans and peas and corn and stuff like that. The occasional sweet potato, potato. My wife will make like mustard greens and kohlrabi and these kinds of things. And, and, and you kind of got to get past it the first time you eat it. And then you're like, oh no, that's good. I can eat that. You have to have a taste for it. Kids don't like it. Kids are totally honest about it, right? They like spit it on the table. They're like, ah! you know. I'm like, no, it's good, you know. And then eventually I'm like, no, I actually like this. I'm going to keep eating it. There are many who have no taste for the righteousness of God's way and his will. They've been commanded to hunger and thirst for it, but they simply say no. They will reject the message when it comes to them. And they'll actively try to silence it. But it's not just right living or right behavior that they reject. They reject the fact that at the center is the message of Jesus. The message which is not follow Jesus' teaching, follow Jesus' suggestions for living. It's that you need Jesus himself. And so they not only reject the righteousness that the church is commanded to share with the world, but they reject the Christ that we seek to follow. Because the church is the conscience of any society which it finds itself in, the church praises good behavior and says, hey, that's good, we need more of that. And the church says, that's bad, we need less of that, not only in ourselves, but in others. We say, this is bad for us, it's bad for your relationship with God, it's bad for society, we need need to, 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 to get rid of that. If you've ever had a noisy toy in your house, uh, your kids have been given uh, something by a relative. I don't remember who blessed us with this. You're supposed to count every, everything uh, as pure joy, right? You know, we're commanded to do that. And so, uh, do you know Tickle Me Elmo? Does anybody remember this thing? Rock and roll Elmo. You push a little button and he like, you know, does this thing. And he sings the same four songs. I'm like, come on, 12 25, like give me some variety here. He just keeps singing the same things over and over again. You just, you, you hear that for like the 40th, 60th, 120th time and you're like, make it stop. Make it go away. We say uh, to our boys as they were growing up, um, the, the rule in our house was one set of batteries per toy. One set. 
And then it would be like, oh no, the fire truck, it died. You could still play with it and keep it like a fossil, but no, you know, we'd never, we'd never replace it. We put tape over the little, uh, over the little speaker holes to cut down on the noise. Um, the, the story of Tickle Me Elmo or Rock and Roll Elmo or whatever it was, was my, my neighbor's daughter down in South Carolina, she loved it and was obsessed with it. And so I would like put it in his car. I put it in his mailbox. I went to his door one time and his, and his daughter was opening the door. She was like three years old. We lived right next to one another in mobile homes in the, in the village. She was opening the door because she saw me coming and I was like, and I opened the door and I handed it to her and I closed the door and I went back to my house. And he would stick it all, I mean, we just kept on finding this over and over and over again. Um, every now and again, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you might see the, the Rock and Roll Elmo video show up somewhere, and that's me and Mike or Susie like harassing each other about that. But that's when we, when we are irritated by something, when we reject it, we want to silence it, to cut it off. And that's what the world does with the condemnation that comes from not living in conformity with God's will and God's way. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, this is John chapter 16, convicts concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is pounding on the conscience. And the Christian is saying to the watching world, hopefully not as a hypocrite, but, but is, is saying to the world, this is God's way. Let's follow him. Let's, let's live in conformity to his way. He's good. He's given us righteousness. He's given us his son. That's all that we need. Let's, let's live in a way that honors him. And the world says, I will not stand to listen to it. And so we need to be careful how we react when we encounter opposition. Should we retaliate? When we encounter opposition, should we say to people who are mean to us that all they are is mean and liars and pathetics and they'll be, they'll be alone in life and they'll be, they'll be mean? Is that, what we, is that what we do? Do we fire back and say, how, how dare you? I will, I will crush you. Do we, do we sulk? It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. Do we... Do we, do we fall into a giant puddle of self-pity. I've thought long and hard about what Gloria gave. This is a popular wedding song, right? You know, at, at, at the, the dance, like, portion of the wedding, Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive. Like, it is all just, like, self-congratulatory wound-licking is what it is. She's, she's you know, uh, I have, look at me, I have not fallen apart. I have held it all together. I will, my life will go on. Is that what the Christian's supposed to do? Oh, Poor me. I'm so persecuted. The world is just such a rotten, mean place. Are we supposed to grin and bear it? Like Dory in Finding Nemo, right? Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Maybe I can get away from it. Maybe it'll stop. Like, just put on a good face. Or instead, are we to, to, to respond in the words of Freddie Mercury? We are the champions. Think about it. What does Jesus say? Rejoice and be glad when you are persecuted. When you encounter opposition, it ought to be like, yes, that's the proof right there. That's the truth. That's the, the evidence or the demonstration that, that the gospel is alive and well and it's doing its work. They say that the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. 
And so the gospel message accomplishes its work. It's not our job to control people's minds or their decision-making. Instead, we, we just say, this is the truth. This is the message. This is God's way. And we do it in a way that's humble and loving and kind. Paul tells Timothy that the bondservant of the Lord is not to be quarrelsome. He's not to be obstinate. He's not to be difficult because God may grant repentance through that servant's ministry to the people who he feels ready and willing to either attack or be difficult with. No, we're to be humble. And when we experience rejection or mistreatment or someone mocks us or curses us, oh, there was a professor. I'm, I don't wanna, I'm, I'm not telling stories to, to brag on myself, but just to talk about the, the kind of emotional inward torment uh, I took a class with a, with a professor, um, took three classes with him, one on Germany between the world wars, another on uh, the American experience in Vietnam, and we had a book of poetry written by Vietnam vets, and, and every class, it was a three-hour class, every hour-long session would begin with a reading from this book, and, uh, and he knew I was a Christian, I challenged him once, uh, he said that, that basically all non-Jews during the Holocaust turned their, their eyes and, you know, no one ever tried to help anybody who was taken away in the Holocaust, and I was like, what about the ten booms, you know, like, uh, the hiding place, you know, that, and he, I think he was bothered by that, you know, I, but, but I'm not going to let, I'm, I'm not going to let the fact that there are Christians who gave their lives, who, who suffered, for what was right, go unnoticed. You know, like everybody just turned a blind eye. No, you know, these, these people suffered. They suffered well. They had a glorious testimony, I think, of, of dependence on the Lord. They, they, need to be, they need to be talked about. Well, he did not like this. And uh, I had forgotten my book. And uh, students were supposed to email him and select a passage to read uh, before the class, before the session and, uh, and he called on me and he said, what are you going to read today? And I was not prepared. And so he assigned me something to read. And it was the foulest, most curse-filled bit of writing that you could possibly imagine. And so I got up and I didn't read any of the words. I just paused and skipped them. Uh, it seemed like the, the only way to be obedient and yet disobedient and, and not to dishonor the Lord and, and not to dishonor him. And when it was all done, he said, uh, what, do, you, do you stutter? He said, do you, do you have a problem reading? Like, you had a real hard time with that. I, he singled me out because he knew it would be hard. That didn't feel good. I think I sat there the rest of the class like, I just want to leave. I want to go home. I don't want to be looked at. Jesus' command to us, though, is that we say, look, if you're being faithful and you're sharing the gospel and you're living in a godly way, there are going to be people who are going to look at that and say, I don't like that. I need to crush it. You're supposed to say, yes, that's good. This is hard. This is not easy. Jesus doesn't call his followers to do easy things. He calls them to do hard things that they can only do by the power of his spirit living in them. 1 Peter 4.14, Peter says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is not just a New Testament curveball, new kind of teaching. 
uh, the, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says in, in, in chapter uh, uh, 51, verse 7, he says, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. Why do we, why do we cave? Why do we not want to be persecuted? Well, one, I mean, that's a natural reaction, right? You know, um, we, we went to, uh, to Lowe's to do, if you guys have little kids, Lowe's, every other Saturday, they do this like craft thing where you go in there and it's kind of scary, but they give you these little prefab kits and the holes are all drilled in them and then there's nails and you nail this wooden thing together, you know? I'm not like, here, let me hold this ha- nail there for you, Hank, right? I'm like, you hold it yourself, bud, you know? whack away, you know, Yo, wait, 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 you know, put the hammer down and let me adjust that. And he's like, bang, 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 bang. That's natural to try to avoid pain, right? But, but sometimes we have exalted our own self-pity and our own sense of, of unfairness to the highest level. And even though we, we have no reason to believe that we will live a pain-free life and we'll be completely free from suffering, we internally, we may not want to admit it. We look at God and we say, why did you let that happen to me? Why did you let me experience that difficulty? That's an exaltation of the self above the will and the way of God. We also fail to rejoice in suffering because as a culture, we've been trained to to cultivate offense. How dare you say or do that to me? You have, you have no right. You don't know what I've been through, where I've come from. I know all about you. You, you have no right. And we just let the offense grow and grow and grow. What is that? That's a lack of love for our fellow man, isn't it? What a, what a, what a brilliant thing to learn to go through life saying, people say stupid things. And when they say stupid things, I'm just going to let it go and forget about it. You know? But instead of rejoicing, we take it to heart and we think it's about us. We think that, that what's being said uh, reflects our value or our worth in the world. But the truth is that when we are living a life that conforms to Christ's way, when we're, when we're seeking to walk in humility and righteousness, independence on the Holy Spirit, and we are seeking to advance the cause of the gospel, we're seeking to lift up Jesus so that he can be seen by others, there will be people who will say, I hate you, or you're dumb, or that was stupid, and they will seek to tear you down, or even they'll try to destroy your reputation. It's not about you. It's about the message itself. Eventually, if you are involved in sharing the gospel, you will cut against the grain. You will exceed the tolerance of others. I can remember this look in my brother's eye. Like, we would occasionally punch each other. He would say, let's punch each other. And it was like, when, at what point would you learn, like, that punching your older brother, who's much stronger than you, is never, ever, ever a good idea? And so it would be like one shot in the arm, and then he'd shoot back, and then another shot, and then, you know, and I would never be like, stop, you're hurting me, you're making me cry, right? But there'd always be this point where I would, I would get a little rankled, and I would fire back, and then it would be like, he'd go from playing to angry. And it's like, now I'm going to be in pain. That's the way it is with the world. We, we push and push and push the gospel in a humble way. We share and share and share, and eventually people are going to say, that's enough of that, and they're going to they're bite back. 
Luke 6, 26, Jesus says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the prophets. The prophets who delivered the true message were eventually persecuted. Who did they speak well of? The false prophets. Those who sanded the rough edges or the teeth off of the gospel. Jesus then follows through by saying, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. We're not to allow any difficulty or pain that we encounter, we're not to allow that to harden us to the needs of the world. Think about it. The one person who entered the world and encountered nothing but abuse and difficulty, all of which was undeserved, laid down his life for the world. And he said, love your enemies to us. Why does God allow us to be persecuted? I've got to finish up and I've got so much stuff left. Um, But we're going to finish up. Why does God allow persecution? One, to show our loyalty. Suffering is the mark of the believer. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's that's receiving insult truly for, for the name of Christ. We also experience persecution because we have to walk the Jesus road. Matthew 10, 24, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. Did Jesus experience suffering and persecution? Yes. How then do we think we should escape it? This is what I say to my students when they say, Those who are truly walking in faith should never experience suffering. I say, Did Jesus ever fail in faith? Did he ever do anything wrong? And they say, well, no. And I say, okay. And he suffered greatly, didn't he? He suffered greater than any human being who ever lived. If your definition of living the Christian life does not include Jesus, the way that he lived, there's a a problem. He's got to fit into your definition of what it means to live a life that's pleasing to God. Well, you know, he came to suffer. Peter suffered, didn't he? Peter converted 3,000. He also was called Satan by Jesus. Uh, when he sought to divert Jesus from going to the cross. He was opposed by Paul because he he forgot a fundamental feature of the gospel is that the Gentiles are included, and so he experienced uh, opposition from, from Paul, and he was led away to die at an old age for the gospel. Peter suffered. Paul suffered. Job suffered. Everyone in the Bible who, who demonstrates some significant devotion to Jesus suffers in some way. Surely there must be room in our lives for suffering. We experience persecution because, as Jesus said, it's, it's a proof of our citizenship of the kingdom. It's, it means we've arrived. First Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may rejoice and be glad when his spirit is revealed. If anyone suffers, he says, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We also experience persecution and suffering in a secondary sense to make a way for those 
who follow. What did Paul say? He experienced intense difficulty. And he said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. What does that mean, filling up what's lacking? Well, there are people who never saw Christ suffer. But they saw Paul suffer. And watching Paul suffer, they learned what it meant to suffer. You may be persecuted for the sole purpose of sharing your experience with someone else so that when they experience persecution, they'll be able to stand. We also suffer persecution to prove grace. Think about the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament, thrown into a, a fiery furnace, right? You, you, the, 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 the one commentator who brought up this story said, you know, in suffering, you're never alone. And I was like, yeah, you've always got friends, you know, you get by with a little help from your friends, that sort of thing. And I'm thinking, yeah, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were together, right, when they were suffering. Because you're never truly alone if you're, if you're in the church. But then he pointed out that Jesus promises in Matthew 28, 20, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. When we encounter difficulty and suffering, that is when we truly reach out from our deepest heart of hearts and say, Jesus, if you do not sustain me, I will fail. And we learn what it means to live purely, totally, and utterly on grace and not on our own strength. We prove the depths of God's grace when we suffer. Well, I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. Uh, we are called to rejoice when we suffer because this is how the kingdom moves forward. As we think about our church and we think about our mission and we think about advancing the gospel, we need to understand that, that we will have successes, but we will also have spectacular failures. I finished up preaching in, in Zambia we did an outreach. They showed the Jesus film. They have it in, in the local language. And uh, one of the things that happens in the film, I was watching because I don't understand what's being said. I can see the story, and I'm like, I think this is that story, and I think this is this story. And uh, I pulled one of the guys. His name is Gift. Zambians have the coolest names. I pulled Gift aside, and I said, I said, I definitely saw Jesus sweat blood there, right? And they said, yeah, that happened in the, in the movie. And I said, did he say, let this cup pass from me? And, and he said, yes, he did. And so that was, they asked me to preach the gospel, and I did it with translation. I talked about why would Jesus say, let the cup pass from me? And I talked about how we receive the righteousness of Christ and how the gospel works and, and how Jesus did not want to taste sin, but he did it because that's how humanity would be saved. And, and he took sin so that we could receive righteousness. And when I finished sharing, there were a group of exchange workers like, international students working at this college and as soon as I finished and I prayed and I said amen one of the women turned to one of her companions and said that was horrible that was terrible and, and at that point I was just like thinking through the message and I thought like did I get something wrong did I not explain it well? Like we just watched this movie and Jesus went to the cross and he died for the sins of the world. He drank the cup. He took sin upon himself. And I'm like, this is not me doing something wrong. This is the fact that people hear the gospel and when they hear it for real and they hear that, that, that we are going to pay for our sins unless Jesus takes them from us, but that we can have righteousness if we will submit to God's will and depend on him the way we were created 
that there are many people who will say, that's horrible. And so it's like you brush it off and go on with your life. They turned and walked away. And I went back to campus. I did my job. Did what I was called to. And now it depends on the Holy Spirit to do the rest. When we experience difficulty and persecution, we ought to say, like James, that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is good and kind to us at all times, even when we're suffering, even when people are rejecting the message. We ought to seek to see things from God's perspective and not from our own. Hebrews 13, 12 is where we'll finish. Jesus suffered outside the gate, rejected, driven from the city. He suffered outside the gate to sanctify the people through his own blood. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that's to come. This world will reject us. The people will reject us on occasion because this is not our home. And when we experience it, we ought to say, that is evidence that this is not my home and that I am waiting for a better place. I'm waiting for a better reward. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. It's a hard word. There, there, there's a lack of joy associated with discussing suffering and pain and difficulty, but, but we will encounter it. Your word covers it, and so we need to be faithful. Father, I pray for anyone here who's hearing this and is saying, perhaps, I have never experienced any kind of rejection, or uh, I can't imagine counting it all joy. Uh, perhaps they feel that way because they have not trusted Christ. And I pray that you would move their heart to faith and that they would put their faith and trust in you today. Father, I pray for those who are here who say, I have caved many, many times in the face of opposition. We look to the gospel. We look to forgiveness by Jesus and say, sustain us in the moment of our trial and difficulty and help us to be faithful to you. Father, I pray for all of us as we go out into the world and seek to do our work of sharing, that we'll understand that at times people will accept and at times people will reject. And that it's our responsibility not to change the heart or change the mind. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's our responsibility to be faithful. May we be found to be true to the cause of Christ and to the gospel. Father, we thank you that we live in a country where persecution is minimal, where it so seldomly ends in physical persecution. We pray that you would strengthen us, that we might share the gospel. We pray that you would preserve us from shrinking away in fear. We pray that you would help us to endure whatever trial you allow to come into our life, Lord, for your sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song together.